I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. And I must admit, in all of my studies in the book of Corinthians, some of the things I'm about to say today, I have never said to my knowledge in any message about the Apostle Paul, a few things that I'm going to say today. I don't know why. There's things in life that it just seems like the Lord keeps it hidden from us as we read his word and then at the perfect time, he seems to open our eyes to see some of the other things surrounding what's happening. Generally, when you talk about the the church at Corinth and the letters that Paul wrote, the two letters, it's almost always dealing with the people at Corinth and the problems that they had. There was unrest, they were suing one another, there was immorality, we know all of that. And generally that's what we as preachers tend to focus on and that's not incorrect. All of that is true. But for some reason we overlook the fact that Paul was also writing to himself. He's reminding himself by the time you get to this 12th chapter, he goes back to that experience which I've preached many times from this pulpit about how he was caught up into the third heaven. That's the way this chapter begins. Him reflecting back on that, saw things that were not lawful to to utter. Took him 14 years to write about it and to talk about it. And after 14 years of, of experiencing such grace and glory of God, the only thing he could say after 14 years is I can't tell you. I just don't have words to explain what I experienced. But then in in verse seven, it seems as though he goes from this supernatural experience of being caught up into the third heaven and the things that he sees that he can't even put pen to paper and tell them about. And then he reflects on himself. But he said, even though I had that great experience, that ultimate high in my life, look at verse seven and lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. That's all familiar to us. He said, God balanced out my life. Don't worry, God won't let you get too high. He has a way of bringing you back down. You better be careful how you treat others as you climb the ladder of life because you're coming back down and you're gonna meet them on the way back down. And that's what he's saying. I had these revelations, these experiences, but eventually I had to come down to reality. And and then he said in verse eight, for this thing, this thorn in the flesh, I besought the Lord thrice, which is three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Underline the word weakness. Most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, There's that word again, weak. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That seems like like total opposites. How can you be weak and strong at the same time? It thrills me today to see all of these college or high school graduates, many of them going into college, 
pursuing their careers. It's great to see them come up on the platform and us recognize all of them. As a church, we need to do that. We'll be able to do that again this afternoon. And it's exciting. But many of you, you may wonder what, a lot of you have come to me and you've asked for reference letters for scholarships, uh, for college admission, and, and, and I always try to promptly get that back because I, I know how important that is to you. I remember how important it was to me. But have you ever wondered what they ask us on those? They'll ask us a lot of things like how long that I've known you, what's my relationship to you, how I can verify a reference to you, and then they get a little personal. They ask for the strengths in your life. And of course, that's the time that I pick out the things that you have seemed to rise above others in certain areas and qualities and characteristics of your life. But then it's always followed by the next question. Does this candidate have any weaknesses? And you know, that's always a tough question because if you have a weakness, we all have the tendency to know how to hide our weakness. And we get very good at hiding our weaknesses. But I wanna say this to you, and some I know, I hope that we don't lose people from the church family over this, but if we do, uh, I don't want to, but you've gotta face truth. We've all got a weakness and maybe more than one. And that's what the apostle Paul is reminding us of here. He said, I've got a weakness. In fact, he, he names a couple of weaknesses. One is the infirmity, but that really wasn't the greatest weakness that the apostle Paul had. If you dig deep into this letter, you'll find out that Paul loved this church. He had invested his life in this church, seen it established and now it's growing and thriving. And then suddenly when it starts thriving, anytime that things are going great, that's when the devil shows up. And he sends in others that suddenly they start uh, discrediting the apostle Paul. They criticize the apostle Paul. There's one apostle in particular or want to be apostle that starts criticizing the great apostle Paul. When you get to certain chapters, there's verses that he suddenly brings it down from a group of people to an individual. There was one individual that was responsible for criticizing Paul. And he had to deal with this criticism. He's not with them. Now they're discrediting. Do you know the devil's number one way of trying to overtake a church is to criticize others. Because by criticizing others, we think that makes us look good. So we start being critical of what they do. Boy, it's quiet right now. You think I'm making this up? Let, let's go back to chapter 10. Let's go back to chapter 10. This, this is what Paul's saying to them. I know what you have heard. I know what this individual has said. And he's pointing out my weakness. And here's something you're gonna hear about Paul that you don't hear mentioned very often. He said, this is what they accused Paul of. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. They're saying, he writes well, 
but he doesn't look good and he has a horrible voice and he just has these words that are disgusting to us. See, what you're reading is not what you're getting. It's like a lot of churches when it comes time to vote in a new pastor. I watch this happen all the time. They call somebody to come in. They stand up. They preach the best sermon they have. And they just absolutely shine with glamour. And the church says, that's the one. Because they know how to deceive a congregation. Then three months later, six months later, a year later, the church is falling apart. I get calls from people like this constantly. Preacher, we've got to do something. I said, hey, it's your fault, not their fault. Why? You put them in. See, we always want to be reactive. We don't want to be proactive. If they'd have prayed correctly beforehand, God would have revealed that to them. Don't shout me down this morning. But I see this happen constantly. You see it happen as well. And that's exactly what they're saying of Paul. You're not going to get what you think he is. That's not what he really is. So what does Paul do against this criticism that's come against him? This is what he says verse, in, in the very next verse, verse 11. Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such will we be also indeed while we are present. You know what he's saying? <laughs> They're right. I am what I am. I know my weakness. And he said, God knows my weakness. And that's why he went on to write about this weakness that he had. If you want to be successful as you launch out into your life and young people into your career, you're not going to be successful by putting a spotlight on your strength all the time. You're going to have to learn how to get stronger in what you are weak in. It will not be your strength that brings you down. It will be your weakness that brings you down. Samson knew the source of his strength but his weakness was he, he, he suddenly told the source of his strength to the wrong person and who you give your hair to you give your heart to and the end result is you wind up weak in the end. What you have to do is learn how to build your weaknesses into strength instead of just focusing on your strength all the time. You can look at certain areas of your life and say I'm strong here, I'm strong here I'm strong here, I'm weak here, so what I'll never do, I'll never do anything in that area. But really, that's the area that you need to work on. In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Strength comes from God through grace to overcome our weaknesses. So Paul said, you're right. You can't do something about a problem that you don't recognize is a problem. And if you have that problem, you have to address that problem. If only we were as perfect as what we think we are. But when you go home, lay your head on your pillow tonight, you trust me. God knows your weakness and you know your weakness. So why do we have these weaknesses? Well, I think that there's really some basic reasons why. One we have this weakness because it's a source, it's all the source of the same thing. Anytime that you, you talk to anybody, counsel anybody, you, you have to realize the greatest need 
in a person's life and the greatest fear in a person's life. Every one of us have the same basic need. We need love. Everybody needs love. Everybody needs to be loved and know that they're loved. But the extremities that people will go to in order to get the recognition that they are loved sometimes is fought with the opposite of the greatest fear that we have. You know what it is? Rejection. So we have this enormous, enormous need to be loved. And in like manner, we have this enormous fear that we're gonna be rejected because if we're rejected by somebody, we can't be loved. That's why some of you have to always, some of you gals have to always have a boyfriend and some of you guys have to always have a girlfriend because you need somebody to reinforce that you're loved. Preach. But when are you gonna learn? Everybody that says, I love you, they don't. They don't mean it. They don't know what love is themselves and it's easy to be deceived. So Paul said, I'm not going to deceive myself. You may reject me, but let's get this clear. The Lord Jesus Christ loves me. And he says, I pour my grace out sufficiently on you. And the truth of the matter is, some of you think it's just a song, but it's true. As long as I've got King Jesus, that's all that matters is to know that Jesus loves me. Hallelujah. And that I love him. And you can overcome every weakness in your life. So because of that, the greatest need and the greatest fear battling against one another, there's four things generally that bring about a reality of the weakness in our life. Sometimes we have to recognize it for what it is. First, it's just an inability. God asks us to do something that there's no way we can see ourselves doing it. There's no way that we see that we have the ability to do it. It's just impossible for us to do. You know, you can want to do certain things, but you're just not able to do that. If you're not able to play an instrument, you're not able. If you're not able to sing, you're not able to. I'm not saying that you can't sing alone in your car. But just because you want to doesn't mean you have the ability to. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's been a lot of things in life I would have loved to have done it, but I don't have the ability to do it. Sometimes those abilities can be physical as well. You just can't help it because physically you don't have the ability, the stamina to do that. Not only is it caused by inability, but it's also caused, he told us, by infirmity. He had an infirmity. He prayed for his, in fact, he said through my infirmity, he, he clarified it. He said that I could glory, that I can glory in the Christ, in the cross of Christ, because I will glory in mine infirmities. That's what he said. So he had an infirmity. Some infirmities are temporary, some are permanent. But when you have an infirmity, that, that affects you. Do you realize how many people today would just love to be in this service right here in our area, but they have an infirmity that prevents them from being able to get to a service and sit in a service and be in a service. But yet through that, then they have a real concern of being rejected. So they can feel like the apostle Paul, since my infirmity, 
infirmity prevents me from being there or doing what I want to do. Therefore, I'm afraid that I'll be rejected. So some, sometimes this weakness is caused from inability. Some of our weaknesses caused from infirmity. Another thing is that it is caused by iniquity. Well, what is iniquity? The word iniquity in the Old Testament simply means crookedness or to bend. That's what the word literally means. So there are certain things in our life that we're bent toward. Now, why are we bent toward certain things? Uh, I don't know how this will go over, but it's the word. Deuteronomy tells us why. Deuteronomy 5, 9, because the Lord says, I will visit the iniquity, the bend, of the fathers under their children and under the third and fourth generation. You will be bent to certain things because when you're growing up, everything you see in your parents, in your grandparents, or the home that you're living in, when you're this tall, the video recorder's always on. Your eyes are open, your ears are open. You can't unsee what you have seen. You can't unhear what you have heard. And it is recorded there the rest of your life. And unfortunately, when you see those things and you see that bend, then when you start to mature in life, you'll find yourself following that exact same pattern. Why? Because you're visiting the same iniquity that your father or grandfather or great-grandfather had. Some people call it generational curses. I think it's more than a curse. I think it's just that you're bent towards certain things. Do you know how many people in this church, as many years as I've pastored, that when they were young people like these graduates today would sit down and talk to me in private about their parents' drug addiction and how much they hated their drug addiction or how much they hated their parents' alcoholism. They'd come to church and shout, but the whole time they knew their, their mom and dad stayed drunk on the weekends. They knew that they'd sober up to come to church to shout. Oh yes, it does happen. And they would say, I hate that. And they would cry about it and I'd pray with them. And they'd say, I never want to be like that. But the truth of the matter is, they wind up following that same road. The parents are bent toward gambling. So the children are bent toward gambling. The parents are bent toward lying. So the children are bent toward lying. Boy, it's getting lonely up here today. There, there are iniquities that visit us. The parents had a tremendous temper in private, so the children have a tremendous temper in private. I'm just saying we all have certain beings. And what it is is because we focus, I'm not, I'm not overlooking all the great things that we were raised under. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But there are some things that no matter if you have 99 great qualities, that one bad thing will stick out more than any other and the devil will make sure it sticks out more than any other. And the very thing we say we hate the most is the thing that we struggle the most with. Well, what do we do if we have that being? First of all, you've got to face it. 
You not only have to face it, but you also have to forgive if your parents did that. Forgive your parents of doing that. Don't you think in later life God dealt with them about some things? And if they had to go back and do over again, they probably would do that over and take that away. Isn't there something for those of you that have raised children that if you had a redo, you'd go back and you'd say, I'd do it different this way. I'd make sure I'd do it this way. Of course we do. We face it, but then we also forgive of it. And then we rebuke it in Jesus' name. Just because I grew up with that doesn't mean that I have to be bound by it. Then we break it off, and when we break it off, we finally get to the place that we say, I'm breaking this iniquity off of me, this bend off of me. I will not go in that direction. I will let the Lord straighten my path, and I'll walk in the straight path, and I'm not going that way. Do you realize that if you break that off, then you will not only break it off yourself, you break it off your kids, and your grandkids, and your great-grandkids, because you take that bend and let the Lord take the crooked and make it straight. Iniquity. And then there are inherent weaknesses. Now what's an inherent weakness? It is a weakness that God knows we have and he could remove it, but he allows it because he knows that weakness will help us come to him for strength. Every one of you, every one of you, think think for just a moment, don't say anything out loud. If you do, you'll embarrass yourself and I'll help you. Right now in your mind, think, ask yourself this question. If there was anything in my life that suddenly I could get rid of and never be bothered by it again, what would it be? Now notice, I didn't ask you, are you saved? I didn't ask you, are you full of the Holy Ghost? You can be saved and full of the Holy Spirit and still about a weakness. You telling me that the Apostle Paul wasn't filled with the Spirit? You telling me that the Apostle Paul wasn't saved? Here's the man that's responsible for 13 letters and books in your Bible. If anyone knew the walk with God, he knew the walk with God, but he still had weakness that had to be converted to strength. So you think of that thing and you're saying, why hasn't God removed that from me? Why hasn't he, can I answer that for you? Because God knows if that was taken away, you'd never come to him for anything. If everything was perfect in your life, you'd need God for nothing. And it's not that God gave it to you, it's that God allowed it to go on to keep you coming back to him. 
So what seems like a burden in your life is really a blessing that causes you to say, I need grace, I need more grace, I need more grace, I need more grace. Never to get content with what we have, but to keep seeking God for more and more grace. Because we do need his grace. When Moses stood before the Lord and the Lord gave him the command, go to Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh to, Set my people free. What was his response? Lord, but I am a man of slow speech. I don't know what that was, if it was stuttering, if, if he couldn't pronounce words properly. I mean, that could take in a whole regiment of speech problems. But he wasn't a great speaker. Now see, that's why God is God and we're not God. Because who would call a man to lead a nation that had a speech impediment? But God already had the answer. Take your brother Aaron with you. You know the amazing thing about that? Nowhere in the Bible do I ever read that Aaron spoke on behalf of Moses. When he stood before Pharaoh, he was the one always doing the talking. God took his excuse away. Do you think that God didn't know that he had a speech impediment? Do you think that God didn't realize that he had problems with his speech? Why did God call someone like that? Because he said, I know when it comes time to speak, he's already nervous and he knows that people will make fun of him and he knows that he's got an obstacle to overcome. But in the very beginning, if he does nothing else, he will seek me for every word that he says. Through his grace sufficient are weakness is turned around into strength. There's no need to come and tell God why you can't this morning when God is saying yes you can. With me all things are possible. If I have called you, I will help you. I will empower you. I will give you grace. I will give you strength. I will give you mercy because grace is greater than all 